0: Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, as always, and my co host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week?
1: As per usual, Gary, I am absolutely fantastic. Although it's a Sunday morning, and well, it's not like we haven't recorded the podcast on a Sunday morning previously. However, I'm actually just really tired. <laughs> I don't know why. Got full, you know, my eight or seven and a half hours of sleep last night. But if you start seeing me nod off, if you're watching this on the YouTube and you start seeing me nod off while Gary's talking, you know, that's why. Um, but anyway, how are you, Gary? You're, you've are you been uh, still on placement. Is it still called placement or is it just called slave labor or what, what do they call it these days?
0: Placement. I actually wish it was slave labor, to be honest, because I thrive on uh, Slavery. being busy and having a bit of responsibility rather than just being a... Sore thumb in the way of the medical team. Um, so yeah, no, it's uh still on placement, on pediatric placement. I have neonatology this week, which means small babies, which I'm very, very excited about. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, other than that, Storm Eunice has hit Ireland and the UK. I gather that the UK has had a worse experience than we had, which is quite typical. We tend to have the most bland weather ever i'd love a bit of an extreme um but nothing too major here we did have a bit of snow that was exciting um the rear wheels were kicking out going around roundabouts that was fun um but other than that i don't think there's anything too exciting i'm tired myself now although i kind of feel i'm in mean, that stage where i'm almost manic tired where i'm a bit tired but but not sleepy just like yeah let's go i'm ready for the day because i only slept for i think five and a half hours last night And I think if I sleep less than six, I get that little bit of mania. If I sleep between six and seven, I'm tired. And then more than seven, I'm good. So sleep less is the answer.
1: (laughs) Chronically deprive yourself of sleep just for that little, little touch of mania.
0: Evidence-based treatment for depression, sleep deprivation. So,
1: Uh, Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah with the wind because obviously I live in London so it was literally just windy here like in fairness it was it was pretty windy at certain stages like I obviously did, well, uh, it's not obvious but I live in a high rise and uh, I like,
0: obviously oh, live in a penthouse
1: <laughs> <bro>. Um <laughs> but like you could see all the like rubbish and everything leaves plastic bags and everything just being thrown up into the air which is kind of cool to see Um, but it just wasn't that bad here. I know the roof of the O2 got ripped up. Yeah. But it just wasn't that bad. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly thought Ireland got hit worse because you had your power went out,
0: you know? Yeah, but our infrastructure is just terrible. So it's not surprising.
1: Very true. Like it's basically, <laughs> we left whatever the British left. And then, you know, we've been hoping that it doesn't break down since. And that's not actually very true because Ireland did actually have the best. Uh, electrical system in europe at a a time because we were one of the last people to get it (laughs) so there is that and then also we did have you know some better infrastructure for other things telephones internet etc so no hate just just saying that some things ireland just does very poorly such as keeping electricity going to gary's house when we want to record a podcast
0: but (laughs) yeah no what was even worse to be honest is that they gave us a bit of electricity back where i'm living but so so little that boiling the kettle took like 45 minutes <laughs> Like so, it was, just, and it would also just come on and off. So I turn on my computer. I'd be like, Oh, it's great. It's back. And then it would just go zoom and turn off. But anyway, that's our, our problems discussed for this week. Thank you very much for listening to our venting session. We'll now move on to <laughs> episode two.
1: Just before we go, go on,
0: <laughs> do you remember a couple of
1: years ago? I don't know. I can't remember what year it was. I, like I wish I could, but remember it just absolutely bucketed snow down in Ireland. And they just didn't have enough sand or salt, even for the road. 2015, I think. I'm gonna say 2015, but like I couldn't yeah, be scared. something like that. But they just didn't have enough sand whatsoever. It <laughs> just didn't do anything. About or bread. Yeah. Like so fucked up. But anyway, look, we're not here to talk about that. Um, we're here to talk about encouraging health in older individuals. And I say older individuals, and myself and Gary were talking about this literally just before the podcast because older individuals is such a vague vague term um like I'm 30 years old I'm you know an older individual to some people um so we don't have a definition for what older individuals they are it is are um and we're basically just talking about people that are at a later stage of their life, could be in their late 20s, (laughs) could be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. But basically, people that have maybe previously exercised, but have fallen out of the habit of it, maybe previously been in good nutrition habits, but have fallen out with it, have previously done nothing, and they just want to start exercising, getting their nutrition in order. And effectively, what we're trying to talk about is you now have an individual in front of you that doesn't know where to start or potentially you are an individual that doesn't know where to start with this stuff so how do you start actually you know making change in your life how do you start actually getting healthier like what's like what what's the process what are we looking for you know and trying to add to that introduction there Gary
0: yeah I think I mean obviously when we say older individuals or gener- generally for most people it's going to be you know maybe in their late 50s 60s etc but for the purpose of this discussion we're going to bring i think a simpler definition is if you are less active less energetic and less uh, you have less get up and go in you than you used to have then i think that's fair enough to put you into the the category of person that we're trying to help in this podcast some of you might be thinking she said, I'm only 19 and I already feel like I'm in that position. Where's my uh, youthful energy gone? But, you know, if, for example, if you were, you know, training J A or football or soccer or whatever, uh, up into your early twenties, then maybe you kept up the strength conditioning <sighs> for a while. Then work got super busy in your early thirties and now you're late thirties and you're in a position thinking, God, I'm, I'm a shell of a man compared to what I used to be, you know, or I, I haven't been to the gym in five years. I haven't exercised my joints are a bit creaky, you're still dealing with some of the problems that we would consider worth um, managing now and preventing for the future that someone in their 60s might deal with. So, you know, there's, there's lots of transferable um, lessons in this podcast that are transferable between age groups.
1: Yeah, so effectively in this podcast episode, we want to create a return slash slar- start activity roadmap <laughs> or health habits roadmap whatever the fuck you want to call it either way we're trying to get it we're trying to gonna that doesn't even make sense we are going to try to create something here that would actually help you if you're younger middle-aged older whatever we want to give you that kind of roadmap right but the first thing i want to say is um the habit change is incredibly hard. <laughs> So we are going to talk about like, oh, yeah, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. And when we're trying to communicate that stuff with our clients, it's a lot easier to, you know, first of all, identify exactly what we need to change, what habit we need to work on, all that kind of stuff. But also it allows us to like that one to one you know, speaking to someone, talking to them, communicating with them, it allows us to actually solve the issues that make habit change hard, right? And even still, it's still hard, right? So if you're trying to look, you're looking at this podcast, or you're listening to this podcast, and you're going, oh, like, this is just too hard, what they're saying, I can't do it, I've tried that before, it doesn't work, you know, you have to realize that habit change is hard. And one of the ways I always try to help people deal with this is the fact that like failure is part of the process, right? So you need to get that into your mind that you are going to fail. That is almost 100% guaranteed, right? So you don't need to look at that as a failure. You need to look at that as, oh, this is just part of the process. I'm going to mess up with this stuff. I'm going to encounter speed bumps. I'm going to get stuff 90% right. You have to be okay with that. You have to be able to go, okay, this is I'm still on the trajectory that I want to be on. These are just you know, meanders in the road, speed bumps, potholes, whatever way, whatever analogy you want to use to help you with this. You need to get that into your mind. Because the one thing that will derail everyone listening to this, if they're trying to bring in new habits, is if they have that all or nothing mindset, right? If you have this, oh... I have to be 1,000% on point with this or I might as well not bother. Like there's, there's all the stuff we talk about in this episode. It's kind of irrelevant because you are not in the right frame of mind, the right mindset to be able to even help yourself. You're not even the same or the right frame of mind for someone else to be able to help you because you think everything has to be perfect. And honestly, in your life, do an assessment right now. Where is anything perfect? Like go to a shop, nothing's perfect. Go to, you know, university, nothing's perfect. Go to your job, nothing's perfect. You know, your personal life, nothing's perfect. Anything that you do, there's nothing perfect. Like you don't even make a sandwich perfectly, you know? Like you're trying to butter your bread and you're like, like genuinely, did you do that perfectly? No, you probably didn't. You did it good enough. Right, you did good enough to get like the butter on the bread, you know. It's like you didn't fill every single corner with exactly the right amount of butter, you know, you didn't, you know, have the butter at the right temperature, the bread at the right or toast at the right temperature, whatever, right? Like nothing is perfect. So don't expect this one aspect to be perfect, especially if you've struggled with this in the past. Right.
0: Do you have anything to say there, Gary? I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but something that people struggle to execute on nonetheless, because it is incredibly tempting to try to set up a plan that is as perfect and as optimal as possible. And this also ties in with what you might call the curse of knowledge, because the more you know about health behaviors and how to set things up optimally, the more likely you are to want to overwhelm yourself with things that you have to do. Easy examples of that would be personal trainers themselves often really struggle with health behaviors because they totally overwhelm themselves because they feel an obligation to set up the most complicated program, the most complicated diet plan to be extremely strict with themselves. They think sometimes that that makes them a better trainer. They also think that maybe it makes them a better role model for their clients. When in fact, it often goes against what they might be telling their clients. They tell their clients to try to aim for flexibility, you know, and having some freedom in your life and those types of things, but they can't execute on it themselves. So we understand the temptation, but what I would ask you is rather than considering how difficult or how admirable the habits are um, to execute, instead, focus on the outcome, because this is what people will do. They'll try to get a sense of reward from sticking to something that's really challenging, really difficult to do, Um, An example that would be if you're not a very early morning person and you know you're not productive in the morning, but you decide, oh, I saw Gary getting up at five o'clock in the morning or whatever. So I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning, but you're totally wrecked for the day. Your performance is poor, but you're like, oh, I feel accomplished because I got up at five o'clock in the morning. You committed to something that you saw as being admirable, but didn't actually improve your life or lead to improved outcomes. So focus on the outcome that you're really aiming at. Um, take the least motivated version of yourself and consider that person when putting that habit in place. Because what we often do is we think about our most motivated selves. For example, it's 8pm on a Sunday evening, you're planning out your week, you have the best intentions, okay, you've been relaxed for the day, you're thinking I'm going to do this, this and this all meals prepped, all workouts done at 6am in the morning. But then what you have to think about is what about thursday morning at 7 a.m when it's dark what about that person is that person going to do all of the things that you're setting out to do in the same way that the motivated sunday evening person will and very often the answer is no so plan for that thursday morning person when the quilt is heavy the it's cold outside it's raining it's dark and you'll start to see positive outcomes from that 100 percent getting
1: me motivated here gary let's go But yeah, it really does. It's really important to understand that the biggest thing to overcome here is not some like physiological thing. It's not some like, oh, you're going to have to overcome insulin resistance or you're going to have to overcome X, Y, Z, whatever buzzwords people use. That's not going to be the thing. The thing that's going to be hardest to overcome is the habit stuff, both previously overcoming or like overcoming previous bad habits, you know, quote unquote, bad habits, um, and then also building new good habits. Both of those things are hard, right? And one of the really hard things about that is at the start, it actually requires more time, right? And that's really hard to, you know, it's really hard to see the future because none of us can see the future, but it's really hard to see the future when you're like, Jesus, like, the time commitment for doing all this stuff is so high uh, I have to I prep my food I have to do you know go to the gym I have to do X, y and z all these different things right but you have to remember that over time you do actually get more efficient right you actually do you probably end up saving a lot of time on the back end if you actually set things up correctly but at the start of it it's going to require more time you know you don't have these habits built you don't have An efficient process. You don't have everything like figured out for your schedule. You're not like, oh, like the kids are here or they're gone to bed and this is when I can do this. And like you don't have all of that, like all the little tips and tricks. You don't have it all figured out, right? So it's going to require more time. And habit change in and of itself is a time-intensive process. So you are both inefficient and you're trying to change your habits, you're going to stumble along the way. So there is a much bigger time investment at the start. And this is what derails the vast majority of people with this stuff, because they see all the time commitment at the start and they're like, ah, oh, no, it's not for me. Can't do that, right? So like what Gary was saying, what we really need to do to overcome that is, we need to focus on, like first of all, like Gary said, your, your least motivated self, right? It's like, well, what's the minimum thing we can do? What's the minimum barrier where it's like, okay, we can actually just take a step forward, we can step over that barrier, right? And we can just consistently do that. Okay, now you're you're building your self efficacy, you're building your ability to change habits, because you've, you've changed this habit, you know, you got rid of one of these things. And you know, now you've introduced this other good habit. So it does take time. And again, I would be lying to you, if I could if I was to tell you that it's going to be easy or that you're not going to be frustrated along the way, you're going to be frustrated. It's, it's infuriating at times. However, you're just going to find yourself in a rhythm. You're going to find yourself slowly, but surely moving in the right direction. And that's good enough. You don't need to be like, I got everything sorted in one week. I completely transformed my entire life around, you know, cool. Some people need to do that. You know, if the doctor is giving you a wake up call and been like, look, you're going to die in like a month's time unless you get your shit together you're probably going to need to change things in a week, right? But if you're just looking at this going, you know, I'm not living the life that I wanted to live. This is not how I envisage myself, you know, living. Then you're going to need to take, take things a little bit slower. You're going to need to slowly but surely take away at the different habits, build new habits, get rid of old habits, et cetera, et cetera, you know? So we can actually tackle this stuff from two angles, right? Um like all the stuff that we want to talk about right and the first thing is we can tackle this from identifying the high yield items right and that's obviously really important because we want to focus look i'm telling you this is a time intensive process And we don't want to take more time than is necessary, right? So we need to focus on the high yield items, what's going to give us the best return on investment, okay? So we need to be able to identify them and we'll go through that in a second, right? But then we also need to talk about this in the context of how do we actually integrate those habits or that thing into your life, right? So there's two things going on here. We could do this entire podcast and we could go, Oh, we'll just focus on one or the other. We'll just focus on you know the actual habits, you know. And that's what a lot of people do. They'll focus on, oh, you need to get eight hours of sleep per night, right? And they leave it at that. Okay. And um, like that's fantastic. That's cool. Right. We want to know the we don't we want to know what we're aiming towards, but we really want to know is how do we actually integrate that into our life? So we're going to touch on both of those, those, you know, two sides of the coin, so to speak. Um, but ultimately. Again, as I said earlier on, this is so much easier when I'm doing this one or one-on-one with a client because I can actually ask them questions. I can actually find out what their life is like. I can be like, okay, well, this is how we overcome this problem that you're encountering in your actual life. You know, it's very hard in this generalized <laughs> format. Going, oh yeah, like um, sleep eight hours per night, um, maybe you know, go to bed a little bit earlier, blah blah blah. And this is why everyone always. Like everyone in the grandmother always comes up with, yeah, but like, what about this uh, one particular situation I have to get up early for work? And then I have to, you know, put the kids to bed and then I have to do my second job. And all like people come up with these things where it's like, yeah, obviously that person's going to 100% struggle with this this habit or this thing that we're trying to focus on. You know, that's not representative of the vast majority of people, you know, like the vast majority of people actually have way more time than they think. Right, like if you're sitting at home watching Netflix for three hours every single night, you know, and you could go, oh, I don't have the time." It's like, no, you actually do have the time, you know. You just aren't uh, uh, putting that time towards the stuff that you know we would argue is more important. Now, that's not to say you can't, you know, watch some Netflix, you can not watch some TV, relax, etc. Um, but we're not talking about the outliers here. The outliers, they need specific help or specific help, specific help right the general population the vast majority of people we can actually just go okay this is how we can solve these issues in a generalized context right but anyway first things first we need to be able to identify the problem slash problems right because again we're just talking about how to encourage health in older individuals like again incredibly broad 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 uh like population group there. You know, we can have individuals that are still, you know, very active. They go out and do their exercise or whatever, but maybe their nutrition isn't where it needs to be. They're, you know, maybe there's someone has really good nutrition, but they're just not healthy, fit, um, in terms of like you know, cardiovascular fitness, strength, whatever, right? Because there are a lot of things to focus on with all this stuff. So we need to be able to identify what's going on, right? What's what's the actual issue that we're trying to change is it just purely the activity that we're trying to change are we trying to change nutrition are we trying to change like sleep habits stress management what is it right um, and this is you know effectively where our business name comes from triage method you know that's what we do we go to if we're doing with a client we go okay here's all your issues let's actually triage this these are your big ticket items this is the thing that needs to be addressed first because if we address this first all of these other things fall into line right? Or it allows you more capacity to deal with these things. For example, if you're sleeping five hours per night, and you're like, oh, I'm so tired, I can't go to the gym, I, I can't, you know, push myself hard with that, I always find I'm really hungry, I binge eat, I do all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, we could focus on improving nutrition and improving exercise habits, etc. But the big issue is that you're not sleeping enough, you know, or like someone's like, oh, I'm not building enough muscle, I like I put all the effort into the gym. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this hard work. And, you know, I just seem to gain fat. And we're like, okay, well, look, your stress management, like there's, it's non-existent, right? Your sleep habits, again, awful. You're just putting yourself in a terrible environment for productive muscle gain, productive performance, you know? So you can put all the work you want in the training or nutrition, but if you're not actually giving yourself the chance to realize your potential because, you know, you're stressed, the nines and you sleep five hours a night it's like okay you're like you're not you're just going to get slower results or you're just not going to get the results that you want right so we need to be able to identify the big ticket items and then address those right? and again in a general context i unfortunately can't identify your big ticket items you need to go through that yourself you need to go okay this is what's going on in my life what's more important we'll help you with that in a second but you're going to have to go do that yourself or inquire about coaching like that's that's why we coach people (laughs) um so big ticket item keep that in mind and then we're going to craft a plan around that right now the thing about that is and it goes back to the habit base change we've been talking about it would be great if we could just oh here's your biggest ticket let's get the sleep sorted right but that actually might be the most challenging thing to sort. It might be one of those things where it's like, okay, look, we know this is the big issue, but we need to build some momentum here. We need to build some wins. So we're going to focus on like easy wins. We're going to focus on some things that are actually easier for you to do so that we can build that momentum to eventually be able to tackle big thing you know you have low energy because your sleep is crap for example like okay well we can still work on the diet a little bit we can still focus on you know stress management practices you can still focus on you know exercise we can still get you to a position where you're you're feeling a bit more energetic you're feeling a bit more like okay i have more capacity to do things in your life and then all of a sudden we can be like okay now we can start tackling the sleep which then makes everything else much better right um But anyway, so to identify the whatever you want to call these, the big ticket items, you know, we effectively always talk about four things. We talk about sleep, stress management, exercise, and diet. Right? They're your four big levers. Right. And that's the way I like to contextualize this stuff as well, in terms of you have these four levers, right? And they are determining a lot of the stuff that we do. And they're not the only levers. You've got these four big levers in this control room. You've got all these little buttons and you have all this like, you know, all this other stuff going on. Now, most people, unfortunately, focus on all the buttons, the shiny buttons over here. I'll press this one, I'll press this one. And it's all these minuscule things that, okay, yeah, they are part of the process, but they are giving you such a like small, small return on investment. You know, like people would often say, you know, you're missing the forest for the trees or you're majoring in the minors. That's effectively what the most people do. And that's not necessarily bad because that can be a catalyst for building that momentum. We're like, okay, you think you can, you can do this thing. Okay. We're going to do this thing. Right. It's not going to move the needle in a, a huge amount, but at least it gives you a little bit of, okay, I can do, I can, I can actually change. I can actually do something. Right. So that's fine, but oftentimes, the more efficient way of going about this is to look at those four levers, right? And then look at how can we improve them? How can we get them to where we want them to be at so that we can actually get the results that we want, right? Now, the thing about this is we can work on all of those levers at once, right? And that's what most people try to do. They go, okay, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna try moving all these levers at once, and that's fine, like we can do that and we can move them to a certain degree, but we can also focus on one of them at a time. We can be like, right, we're going to work on this one thing. Once you've mastered that or got it to a really good place, then we're going to look at the other stuff, right? And we can do shades within that. We can be like, right, we're going to set some like baseline lever pulling with all four of these things, but we're really focusing on the sleep or we're really focusing on stress management or we're really focusing on exercise or diet. Like we can do that. And that's generally where I actually prefer it to be at, where it's like, okay, we're going to set some baseline things, And we're going to really focus and hone in on this one thing. But unfortunately what most people do is they try to go hell for leather with all the things at once. Right? So you have either people do either sides of the spectrum where they focus on the the shiny buttons over here and they're like, okay, cool. Yeah. They contribute or they go try to go all in and they try to get all four levers and try to pull them down all at once. And you're like, look, look. You, yeah, you can pull them down a little bit all at once, right? Because we can do this generalized shotguns, you know, scatter approach, right? But you're going to get your best return on investment if you just go right. Let's just master this one thing, then we can move on. You know, do you have anything to say about that, young Gary? Before we get stuck into the actual habits, because this is what people want from the episode. Because we've just been talking about fucking background theory or whatever since up until now how do we actually start implementing this stuff into our, into our
0: life? Yeah. So let's talk sleep. Okay. Because sleep is something that if you can get it in order and it doesn't have to be perfect, but if you can improve it, especially he says, as he yawns, especially if it's something that's an identified issue, whether you're constantly waking during the night, you never feel rested when you wake, you're not in bed for long enough. If you've identified those issues, then sleeping better is going to improve your stress management because you're going to be a little bit more resilient throughout the day. You're probably going to be a bit more productive and more likely to complete tasks and thus less likely to be stressed by them. Um, From an exercise perspective, you're likely to recover better from exercise, be more motivated to exercise and perform better when you are completing exercise. So again, sleep is going to facilitate that. And then finally, from the dietary side of things, we know that sleep deprivation increasing increases cravings and the reward from hyper palatable foods. So foods that are really tasty, your classic kind of junk foods, you're going to crave them a bit more when you're sleep deprived and you're going to be less likely as a result to eat a high quality, healthy diet. It's also more difficult to keep your calories down as a result of that. So appetite is effectively dysregulated. So you can see that if you can get your sleep in order, all of the other areas will also improve. So in terms of sleep itself, then obviously sleep has a number of very important roles, including those related to um, aging. If we're talking about elderly individuals here, um, sleep restriction, if you're constantly sleep deprived, it might increase your risk of things like neurodegenerative disease, such as Alzheimer's disease or dementia. So it is something you do want to try to get in order. Sleep can also be compromised by a number of factors associated with aging, for example, in the postmenopausal period, in certain disease states, even Alzheimer's and dementive states, you know, you can start to have changes in your sleep architecture as a result of that, or maybe medications you're on, or any of the other factors that can reduce sleep quality, such as financial stress, um, and life obligations, maybe shift work, or whatever it is you happen to be engaged in. We all have challenges that can reduce our sleep quantity and quality. So. The best thing that you can do is to start to set up some sort of sleep schedule. And this has to be practical because if you're, let's say, a 45 year old um, lady, mother who has kids at home still, you know, kids are getting ready for school in the mornings and those types of things, you have to be considerate of what tasks you are obliged to complete. It might be that you drop the kids to school in the morning. Before you go to work, it might be that you prepare lunches um, or maybe you help um, the kids bathe in the evening or get their clothes prepared, those types of things. Sleep Setting up your sleep schedule so that those things are facilitated rather than restricted is really important because what a lot of people will try to do is set up a sleep schedule that is just completely not practical. So for example, they might decide, I want to be a morning person. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m fine, absolutely. If you can, and that works for you, please go ahead. But if you work eight hours back from that, let's say you're someone that really needs that eight hours of sleep, then that's 9pm. And if you've still got, you know, kids that are awake at 9pm, or your husband, wife, partner, etc. If they're still awake, and they want you to do things, or you normally exercise in the evenings, and it's difficult to wind down, then that sleep routine is not practical for you. And you're only going to be placing additional stress on yourself trying to adhere to it. So it might be the case that for you, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. might actually suit you better. So figure out a schedule that will work. Figure out one that you can keep relatively consistent with and then start to make that quite rigid. You know, that's the best way to start off with this is to actually be be a bit more rigid with your sleep schedule, you know, winding down before bed. If you've got a bedtime of 10 p.m., then there's no ambiguity about what you do at 9.30. You know, when it's 9.30 and maybe there's a a show on that you want to watch or, you know, you're thinking about what you'll do next. Will you go on the laptop? Will you watch a movie? None of that is there because you know you're in bed for 10, you're asleep for 10. So you've got to now start your pre-bed routine. And having those things that are a bit more rigid in your life can allow you flexibility elsewhere and can allow you to plan your overall day a bit better. So that's the important thing. Set up a sleep schedule, make it practical, set up a pre bed routine which might be a winding down by reading a book uh, you might have one of those red lamps which we got recently in our bedroom here that you know is quite relaxing i think it looks like you're in some sort of a porn movie or something because it's just this weird red light and it's a weird vibe but basically create a light environment create a mood um for sleep um complete activities that are relaxing, like reading, rather than watching a hyped up movie, for example. You might enjoy something like meditation. I personally enjoy having some clarity on what I'm doing the next morning. So I might write it down in the notes in my phone, on a piece of paper, in my calendar or to-do list, just so that I have some peace of mind going to bed and waking up the next morning, that I know what I'm doing for the day, that I don't have these kind of wandering thoughts when I'm lying in bed, of, oh, what do I need to do tomorrow? When am I going to do this? When, I'm, when am I going to do that? If I've got that clear from the night before, my day is a lot less stressful and it's a lot easier for me to get to sleep. So have a think about what might work for you within that routine. And when you're setting up that sleep schedule as well, think about the number of hours that you're trying to get. Okay. There's no point saying I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. if you're not going to get to bed till, uh, until 11 p.m. And then you're only getting five hours of sleep, and that will catch up on you eventually. It'll be fine, might be fine for a few nights, but for most people, that's not going to be sufficient. So think about the overall hours as well. Now, beyond just the pre sleep period, it's important to look at other parts of your day as well. For example, some people are quite sensitive to water intake in the evening. And if they drink a lot of water in the evening, they'll wake during the night, which compromises sleep quality. So, what you can do here is firstly start by hydrating more earlier in the day because this is what we find quite a bit with clients is that they'll get up in the morning, they'll have their breakfast, they'll go to the gym or whatever it is they do, but they're not drinking water. And they might not drink water throughout the day. And then what happens is at the end of the day, they're drinking a lot more because they have more free time, they have water freely available, and they're catching up on thirst that has accumulated throughout the day. And it's at that point then that they start to produce the most urine as a result. So clearly, you're going to compromise your sleep quality. Whereas if you can hydrate more earlier in the day, in the middle of the day, and then taper a little bit in the evening, particularly if you're sensitive to it, that might help you out. Similarly, thinking about food in that period of time can also be helpful. So if you have more of your calories earlier in the day so that you're not you know, having a thousand calories right before bed, that's quite likely as well to preserve sleep quality. Now, you don't want to take that too far because sometimes hunger can also Compromise sleep quality, particularly if you're already in a deficit or you've been dieting for a while. So in that case, I'd be more concerned about someone having a meal, maybe in the two hours before bed, even if it's just something small, a carbohydrate-based snack, it can help with getting to sleep, but it can also ensure that you're not hungry going to bed, which can stop some people. And then the final thing related to the kind of the overall day is to address caffeine intake. Again, caffeine sensitivity varies quite a bit, but most people are not going to sleep as well if they're having caffeine into the evening time or even the late afternoon. So I'd say somewhere between 1 and 3 PM, maybe 1 and 4 PM, have your last coffee or your last dose of caffeine. I know some people have caffeine in the evenings before evening workouts and they sleep at least subjectively very well and they report no issues. If that's you, I mean, you're not necessarily harming yourself. You know, if you're um, if you're saying I feel rested, I'm sleeping a perfect amount of hours, I'm getting to sleep on time, there still might be some minor impact on sleep quality. It could probably be improved, but mainly we're talking here about the people who really need to address this as a priority. So if caffeine is something that's potentially playing into your inability to get to sleep or stay asleep, then that's something to address. Finally, bit bit more difficult or something that might require a bit more assessment, if. You're someone who has sleep apnea, or you have suspected sleep apnea based on um, your bed partner's report, or maybe your own perception of waking up during the night, um, feeling like you're gasping for breath, or you woke yourself up with your own snoring, um, or you might wake in the morning and have a really sore throat from snoring, or the back of your nose is irritated, those types of things. If you're noticing those as potential factors that are reducing sleep quality, that's something you can get assessed um, for as well for sleep uh, apnea. So that could be worth having a look at too.
1: Yeah, 100%. And the first thing on all of this is like the reason we started with sleep is because this is the thing that most people just ignore. This is the thing that, oh, like I, I have all these other habits that I need to integrate and I need to do. And then they just ignore sleep. They're like, oh, you know what? Actually, I'll just get six hours of sleep, five hours, four hours, you know? And again, it means all the wheels fall off the wagon down the road with everything else because you're tired, right? And um, so I know people listening to this are just going to ignore that and go, yeah, yeah, sleep's important. Cool, cool, cool. And then they'll still sleep six hours per night, right? Don't do that to yourself. This is the thing. If you're like, I can't do, like, I don't have enough time to you know, put into going to the gym or prepping my food or whatever, right? Would you have more time if you weren't actually fucking tired all day because you don't sleep enough you know you're like oh this task just normally takes me four hours and it's like yeah it's because you're half asleep while you're doing it. it's a, it's an hour-long task right so you end up being more productive if you get three, eight hours of sleep now again there are outliers there are people that are just not going to be able to get this they might have to do split shifts they might have shift work in general there's all different things that are going to stand in the way of this but for the vast majority of people who work this kind of nine-to-five life, you can get your eight hours, you know, like there's, if you do again, a nine to five, that's eight hours in work, you're 16 hours outside of work. Even if you put a commute on both sides of that day, you still got lots of time to do whatever fuck you want to do. Right. So you can get rid of eight of those hours of sleep, you know, <laughs> um, but anyway, um the only other thing that you forgot to mention, Gary, how disgusting is reducing alcohol consumption as well, because that actually yes. does destroy sleep for most people, even though people say, Oh, like it helps me get to sleep. Same with like weed and you know other drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it helps me get to sleep. And it's like, yeah, it might actually, you know, reduce that sleep latency. So you fall asleep much quicker. You're like, oh, actually, great, I fell asleep in five minutes versus you know, the hour that it takes me normally. That's that's cool. That can be definitely helpful. However, the issue with that is it actually destroys your actual like sleep productivity. So you're getting sleep faster, but your sleep isn't good, right? And everyone always says that they're like, Oh no, I'm different. I still get good sleep <laughs> and I i have alcohol. And then every single study, every single time that you look into their, you know, if it's an actual study, like their you know, the the study details, you're like, okay, this is clearly. Your sleep is improved when you're not drinking alcohol. And then you actually look at the people, like say our clients and stuff, they might have something like a, I don't know, a a watch that tracks their sleep, you know, and it gives the kind of sleep architecture. And you're like, okay, well, what happened this night? And you're like, oh, I had alcohol. And you're like, yeah, look, your sleep is shit here. Yeah, yeah, but I I, I was great. Like, I, I felt like I had a great night's sleep. And you're like, yeah, but you didn't. (laughs) <laughs> like this is not subjective it's like you said you, you felt like you had a great night's sleep but then the next day your workouts were crap you know your resting heart rate, rate was elevated your HRV was destroyed it was tanked you know like all these other metrics and it's like yeah like your subjective feelings and the objective data are different and now we don't always you know want to just go with the objective data and there is you know we want to have some of that subjective data in there as well however it's very hard to be subjective and actually or sorry, to be objective, when you're actually going like, oh, actually, I like a little bit of alcohol, and it makes you feel a little bit better. And then you have this like rose tinted glasses, uh, you know, view of oh, that night's sleep was actually quite good, you know, and it's like, no, it actually wasn't, you know. But anyway, so sleep is a foundation. If you get your sleep sorted, it's going to, you know, reach into so many aspects of your life. And I would say the big Big high yield item here. If you're like, all right, I can't really do everything that Gary just said there, the big thing I would say is just create an actual sleep schedule, right? If you do nothing else, right? you don't even improve your pre sleep routine. If you actually just take the time and go, all right, I need to get eight hours of sleep. Eight hours is the magic number here. And that's most research shows it's somewhere between seven and nine hours for most people, right? So let's just say it's eight hours, right? Because it's bang slap in the middle there, right? So you need to get eight hours like Gary said, earlier on just work backwards. If you know you need to get up at 7am or 6am or 5am or whatever it is, that means that you need to be asleep eight hours before that. Right. And for most people, especially, and you'll know yourself, if you have a hard time getting to sleep, that means you need to add a little bit more time on that. This is not eight hours of just in bed. Right. It's not eight hours. Oh, I take an hour to get to sleep. I have this like really like long sleep latency. That means you need to add an hour onto that eight hours. You know so however long it takes you to get to sleep, like for me, literally takes a couple of seconds. Like <laughs> I'm asleep, like as soon as my head hits the pillow, right? So for me, I can basically just do eight hours. I'm like, I know for me that's enough, right? I don't do that, I still add on half an hour of like, okay, let's wind down, let's you know, get into the, the sleep state. Um, but if you know again, you're you're gonna take a long time to get to sleep, you need to have whatever half an hour, an hour on top of that, right? And again, I understand that this is not exactly the most easy thing to do to just be like, right, I'm going to start going to sleep earlier. I'm going to actually get enough sleep, but it really does improve everything in your life. I and mean, if you are someone that, you know, you have your nine to five or nine to six job Monday to Friday. And then on the weekend, you actually want to do things. Like why are you using up your sleep earlier in the week? or like you're, you're not getting enough sleep earlier in the week. So you end up tired on your own time, you know? Like that's the worst time to be tired. And that's what most people do. They get like five to six hours of sleep Monday to Friday. And then on the weekend, they try to sleep in, get 12 hours of sleep on both days. And it's like you literally just sold your own time, you know? You sold your own time to catch up on sleep, which you don't really necessarily catch up on sleep. You should have just actually slept during the week, you know? But anyway, I think everyone's aware now, sleep, important, get it sorted, right? And the next one, then, is just your baseline activity, right? So again, we're trying to give some sort of a roadmap for someone that's just trying to get back into activity, trying to be healthier. And we just fucking hammered them with the, you must, you absolutely must get eight hours of sleep uh, per night, right? a lot of people, we started with that because I know half the people listening to this are just going to ignore it regardless. (laughs) But anyway, after that, the next thing we're going to do. So if you're again, a personal trainer, maybe you're trying to get someone to be a bit more active, trying to, you know, you know, encourage uh, a client to be healthier. Like if they're coming to a personal trainer, they're probably, you know, they want to exercise, they probably want to, you know, be in the gym, do that kind of stuff. But let's just say you're a personal trainer and your parents, you know, you're trying to get them more active, right? Or again, you're a 40 year old, and you're like, I just want to get a little bit more active, you know, I used to be able to do this, or maybe I was never able to do this, but I just want to get to this, you know, get healthier, right? We don't need to go balls to the wall from the off, we can actually just start increasing our general baseline activity, our baseline exercise, if you will. And that actually does a huge amount for your overall health, right? And this is something that you can do as, again, a 70-year-old woman in a lot of cases, you know, obviously there might be limitations or whatever. We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, but a lot of you are just going to be able to increase your baseline activity and that's going to significantly impact your health, right? And we talked about this stuff before, so we're not going to go you know, too in-depth with this, but ultimately the easiest way to do this is to just increase your general activity levels and the way we often, you know, keep track of this is just keeping track of steps, right? So if you have an activity watch or, or an activity tracking watch or, you know, an activity tracker on your phone or whatever, like that's a great place to start, right? So if you don't already have one of those like activity tracking watches or, you know, a smartphone or whatever, like go out, get a pedometer, do something. It really doesn't matter. All you want to do is be able to keep a track of this, right? Because if you're not able to keep track of it and you've never done this stuff before, it's not like you're going to know where like a good level is at or a bad level is at or like you you don't know where you're at right so you need to just have something that you can keep track with so again pedometer step tracking on your phone or a watch whatever right and then what we do is we just set some sort of ambitious but achievable goals right so whatever you're doing currently you know get your spin or pedometer or watch or whatever and go, okay, what am I currently doing? You might be like, okay, cool. It's actually a thousand steps per day, you know, which is not unheard of for someone who works predominantly in an office, you know, a thousand steps or maybe walking around their house, going to the bathroom throughout the day. And then the rest of the time is spent in the car commuting and then actually, you know, in the office. So it, you might be at a thousand steps per day, right? We don't necessarily want to just go in straight away and go, all right, you need to get 10,000 steps per day right like that's clearly unrealistic from where you're at so what we just do then we're like okay can we do 2000 how does that change your life okay you have to park a little bit further away from the office you have to actually you know do a little bit more walking you have to be a concerted effort of like i'm going to use the stairs rather than using the elevator but ultimately you want to just you know get the activity up just a little bit right and then we start going okay you've got that habit you've got that really starting to you're in a good rhythm with that Let's bump that up. And we might go straight to 3000 or we could go to 2500. But effectively, what we want to do is we want to have that goal, like the target of your you know, baseline exercise or baseline activity. We want to have that just ever so slightly out of reach. You know, it's like, OK, 2500 is just a little bit. You know, you have to actually think about this stuff. You have to, have to be like, OK, I'm actually going to go for a little bit of a concerted walk here. I'm going to make sure that I, you know, go hand deliver these papers to my office worker over here or whatever, rather than just like, I don't know, emailing them. I don't know, whatever way. I don't work in an office. I don't know how it works, (laughs) Um, you know? So you just need to have that kind of ambitious but achievable goal. And then we kind of just chase that. We constantly push that out until we're at a level where we're like, okay, this is a good level to be at. Most people would say, okay, 10,000 steps per day, but that's not necessarily... You know, necessary, we might be able to go, okay, for you, 5,000, 7,000, whatever. We just want to get it to a, a good level. Now, most people are going to benefit from you know going for a walk or having some sort of concerted exercise period, like, oh, I go for a half an hour walk or whatever, purely because that gets them into the mindset of, well, first of all, actually doing this stuff rather than just letting it happen by a, a byproduct of their day-to-day life, which is, you know, we do want that, but we also want to make sure that. You are getting into a rhythm of, okay, I am a person that does some form of exercise, right? And that exercise, it might just be walking, but at least you're starting to realign your identity as I am someone that exercises, right? Because that's actually really beneficial, right? And then again, we can just start trying to incorporate different movements throughout the day, you know, just, you know, taking the stairs, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, And as I said, like setting aside some time for activity, I think that's beneficial. And it's also very achievable for most people. Again, if you're a, 45 year old father of two it's still like that this stuff that we just talked about there in terms of getting your baseline activity in a good place very achievable you set some step target goals you maybe have to go for a concerted okay i'm going to you know go for a 30 minute walk you know or you know your hour-long break for lunch in work you're like okay i'm going to walk for 30 minutes there and i'm going to you know whatever, go to the shops and get my food or whatever, I don't know, whatever it is, right? You're going to have periods of time in the day where you're like, okay, I have time to actually allocate to improving my baseline activity, right? So that would be a next step. So you've got your sleep sorted, right? And again, I know everyone's skipping that, but the next thing then is, let's just get some baseline activity going. You know, where are we at? Oh, you're already at 10,000 steps per day. You're already quite active throughout the day. Okay, let's move on to the next thing, right? But for most people that aren't that active or whatever, just baseline activity. Do you mind me saying that young Gary?
0: Yeah, just that this is increasingly important with aging because we know that people typically reduce their steps as they age. Part of this is to do with, you know, their general lifestyle, but a lot of it then particularly into 60s, 70s and beyond is due to declines in function and fitness that are somewhat self-fulfilling because effectively what people will do is they'll get help from others. So people will be kind and people will help you do things like your shopping and things like that. They might give you lifts places, particularly if you're older and this naturally reduces your step count per day um, and reduces the amount of activity you do like stairs, carrying shopping bags, all those types of things. And this can unfortunately have the effect of making your decline in function even quicker. So, um, it's really important that you keep that up. We see that as well, like more objectively in terms of in elderly men, there's been some research on the number of steps taken per day and average levels of muscle protein synthesis. So we know that if your steps are lower, you've got lower average levels of muscle protein synthesis. And when we already know that muscle protein breakdown or catabolic processes are accelerated with aging, then you're going to have an accelerated decline in muscle mass, bone mass, and muscle strength, and thus overall health and function if you're not taking enough steps for a day. So it's a fairly basic introductory intervention, but don't underestimate its, import, its importance and value.
1: 100%. And then, so you've got that. You do all the habits that are just, you know, get some activity in. And then you're like, okay, well, what's the next step? The next step, we start looking at the diet, right? Now, some people will be like, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll just start really hammering down on actual, like, you know, organized activity. But in our mind, I would say the diet you could, you could argue the diet before baseline activity, but in my mind, I'm like, look, you can slowly be working on the diet while you improve your baseline activity. You know, you can still be doing both of these at the same time, but when you really have baseline activity sorted, then we can go right now, let's hammer home on the diet, right? So the way we do this, again, we're not going to go through this really in depth because we've done a million and one podcasts on all this stuff. So I know people who are regular listeners, they don't want to hear the same stuff over and over again. So we're going to do a little bit tick the box type thing. And the unfortunate thing about that is the diet is probably the hardest area in terms of an actual habit change uh, process. So again, if we were talking to clients one-on-one, this is probably where we'd spend the most time. Probably be like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to overcome this issue. This is how we're going to do this, blah, 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 all the way through. But again, in this generalized context, I unfortunately can't do that for you but I do recognize that like this stuff, it's going to be very, very hard to actually get into a good rhythm with this stuff and actually start implementing better habits with this stuff, right? So how do we do it? Well, we want to improve the diet. So how do we do that? We want to become more aware of calories, right? It's you know, a baseline thing. It's just like, okay, we know. you don't necessarily need to track all your calories and macros and all that kind of stuff, but you want to have an awareness of what calories actually are. Right. Because if you don't have that, like you kind of get left just focusing on relatively good practices, but also poor practices at the same time, like very restrictive style of eating where it's like, oh, well, the only way you know how to manipulate your calories or your overall energy content from the diet is by just excluding food groups or excluding entire like foods, whatever. Right. So you want to have some awareness of calories. You want to go. You can do this a number of ways excuse me you can do this by just tracking you know you can actually just get an app and like i I know you know 60 year old 70 year olds i'm like oh well how do i do that but i think most uh tracking apps are first of all they're pretty intuitive to use and i think that most 60 70 year olds these days are you know fairly well able to use technology like it's it's kind of redundant it's kind of a Arrogant, I don't know what the word is to be like, oh, well, obviously, we can use technology, but you old folk can't. Like, that's just not the case. Like, you know, like if you're 60, 70, 80, like most, uh, most old people can use technology these days, right? Yep. So, some sort of tracking app that can be fantastic if you really want to go old school with it. Like, there are literally books of like the calories of different food, and you want to search that stuff up, be my guest. You know, I think the internet and algorithms and all that kind of stuff do it much, much better uh, than me having to look through this book being like, where's the broccoli? Um, But anyway, so learn to track in some way as a proxy because, or a proxy for learning to understand calories, right? We generally want to move people away from calorie tracking. We want to move them more to, you know, portion-based approach and more like, you know, does this look like it's the right amount of food for you given your goals, et cetera? But a baseline process of that, or a foundational process of that is actually understanding calories. And I find the quickest way to understand calories is to just track your food, right? It gives you that immediate feedback of like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that chicken had this much protein in it, or I didn't realize that, you know, this food had this much fat in it, or whatever it is, right? Like, it's really, really illuminating right? So become aware of calories. You can read the back of labels if you want. That's a good way as well. But ultimately, it's a little bit hard because you have to keep it in the context of your overall day. And it's not like, oh, I read the milk carton earlier on and it told me I had whatever, 1.6 grams of fat in this. And it's like, you're not going to remember that at 9pm at night. You'd be like, how much fat was in that? Unless you write it down somewhere or whatever, right? But anyway, so we want to become aware of calories. And then we want to start making better food choices that align with the calories that we want to eat right now finding out how much calories you want to eat again we've talked about this before it, it, it's a little bit of an arduous process you can use one of these calorie calculators online or whatever but ultimately you know what you have been eating or at least you have an idea of what you have been eating what a normal day looks like for you and if you're like oh i need to lose a little bit of weight or i want to gain a bit of muscle or whatever we can start manipulating the diet to allow that to occur right if we're trying to lose a little bit of weight we're probably gonna to have to eat a little bit less. So if you're like, okay, I didn't know exactly how many calories I was on, but I knew I was eating, you know, whatever, a lot. Um, I need to eat a little bit less than that if I wanna lose some weight, right? If you're maybe saying, I wanna build some muscle, I wanna build, like, I wanna get back into the, the gym, I wanna get back performing, maybe we need to increase your protein. We might not, because you know, some people do actually just spontaneously eat sufficient protein, but generally speaking, a lot of people just don't, right? Um, so we might have to manipulate things. And again, we're not going to go into it too much here because you know, we've talked about this before. It gets, gets kind of boring. Um, but ultimately, we want to start making better food choices that align with the actual goals that we have. Again, if it's fat loss, we're just going to go, okay, look, I have an idea of calories now. I realize that X, Y, and Z here that I normally eat, they're actually pretty high in calories. So I'm actually just going to swap them out for something that's lower in calories. Boom, calories are reduced in the diet. It becomes easier. That's the first step. We want to have an idea of calories. We want to start manipulating it then, right? And um, what I will say about this as well, because people always do this when they start a new diet, like your diet doesn't need to change to be a completely foreign diet, right? It doesn't need to be completely different. Like you, I'm sure you get this as well, Gary. Like your client will come in and be like, oh, like how do I change my diet? What should I be changing here? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you don't need to completely revamp the diet. It doesn't need to be something that you've never eaten before or something completely different you can just manipulate the quantities of the food that you're currently eating. You know, it's like, oh, I'm eating a little bit too much potatoes or that's actually a bigger portion than I actually need, you know? Oh, that's 200 grams. Jesus, I didn't realize that that was that much. I should actually only be eating like 150 grams or whatever, you know, or like one scoop or whatever the fuck it is, right? Um, But you can basically just manipulate the quantities of the food that you're currently eating. You don't need to be like, oh, well, I need to go out and eat this, you know, passion fruit, mango smoothie thing that you're like, I've never eaten this before in my life right so I do want to make that clear because again and as I said Gary I'm sure you've seen this before with a lot of clients they just I, I, I've probably done it myself where you think oh there's some food that I'm missing out on that I should be eating or there's a secret here like there's a reason that they eat these foods or whatever you know and you see this all the time on social media some influencer or whatever will start eating a certain food they're like they put on their story they're like Oh, I have blueberries in my porridge or whatever, and people are like, Oh my god, why are you eating blueberries? You know, like, are the blueberries a secret? You know, and people start copying that as if it's like, This is the secret, and it's like, like No, blueberries in your porridge is nice now, don't get me wrong. And um, trying to say on that, young Gary,
0: yeah, I mean, this is particularly important in older individuals because what you have to realize is that if someone is 65, they've probably been eating mostly the same foods for maybe four or five decades okay so as we become older we're generally gonna be a bit more conservative a little bit more resistant to overhauling the way that we live you know in your 20s you might play around with a lot of different diets you're trying new foods it's kind of trendy whereas if you're older that's probably not the case you might be shopping in the same Uh, local store buying the same produce for 40 years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever it happens to be. So starting with that base is really important. And it's important to consider here as well. I think uh, the cultural aspects of dietary choice, and I don't just mean macro culture, like in terms of, Oh, do they eat an American diet or a Mediterranean diet? But I mean more like micro culture, you could say related to, for example, class or socioeconomic status so if you're if someone is 65 and they were lived in a working class neighborhood all their lives and now they're getting into managing their fitness a bit more like telling that person to consume a poached salmon and avocado salad with pomegranate seeds like it's going to sound absolutely ridiculous like you serve that up to my grandfather he'd probably he wouldn't know what it was so it makes you have to think about those things particularly with elderly individuals um because it just makes no sense to try to totally overhaul everything so for example if it's a an older Irish man he's probably going to eat quite a bit of red meat so it might be a case of maybe choosing leaner cuts of red meat um, educating them on what those leaner cuts are maybe how to cook them a bit better um it might be that They always eat their, uh, potatoes mashed with loads of cream and butter Mm -hmm. and you might educate them on how to, uh, maybe have a baked potato or mashed potato with um, maybe just a half the amount of butter and maybe half fat cream or something along those lines or a bit of milk instead. So there's different ways that you can take the type of diet that someone consumes or and has been consuming for a long time and make those subtle changes in line with the overall dietary principles. So if we're trying to reduce someone's calories, we can start by, you know, keeping in their toast in the morning, but maybe we'll have a little bit less butter. Um, keeping in, maybe they're frying on a Saturday morning, but instead of frying in as much oil, they use a fry light spray. They've baked in medallions instead of standard rashers. They might have lower fat sausages, et cetera. So we're not totally overhauling. We're respecting the way that they've lived for all these decades or making subtle changes that will make the decades hereafter even better for them. So I think that's particularly important in this cohort. A thousand percent. And
1: the next thing then is we generally want to have a better spread of calories than most people currently do with their diet. Um, and what I mean by this is like most people just skip breakfast and have a massive dinner. And like, that's, you know, it can be fine. Um, but it kind of goes along with poor lifestyle practices. Like people will just oh, skip breakfast, rush out of the house and have a lunch, you know, just something on the go. And then they come home and they're absolutely ravenous. They have like, their normal dinner and they're like i'm still hungry they have the half a tub of ben and jerry's i mean the full tub and then you know like it, it generally leads to poor lifestyle practices to eat this way it can be done quite well um but in general people who are not tracking their diet not tracking their calories and macros like if you don't have a good spread of calories it's generally not good and we can talk about stuff like you know the circadian style dieting, where it's like, oh, it's probably better to eat more in the morning and less later on in the day. Um, but ultimately, we don't need to go down that route. We just need to go, okay, you probably want to have a better spread of your calories throughout the day. Have some sort of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and maybe some snacks, right? Um, but also, and this is important, have a plan for all of them, right? The amount of people and again, I'm sure you see this with your clients as well as I do, Gary, where people just don't have a plan for their breakfasts or their lunches or their dinner. And then they either do one of two things. They either eat the same thing, you know, it's just like oh, all my breakfasts are the exact same, which is not a bad practice. I'm not, not giving out about that. Um, or they just try to do everything on the fly. They're like, okay, I'm going to have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner today. Um, but everything's different every single day. And it's like, yeah, oh, let's just try to track calories and macros. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, like your, your diet is literally all over the place. There's no consistency in the amount of protein intake, carbohydrates, fats, or whatever, whatsoever, throughout the day, or from day to day, even because you're just doing this on the fly. There actually is no consistency to this. We want to have a plan, you want to have some sort of structure, and then it's much easier to actually first of all get the results you want, but also, and this is probably the most important thing for a lot of people, to actually have energy throughout the day right like i don't understand how people missed the the connection between what they eat and how they feel because everyone is aware that there is that connection right because if you don't eat you feel hungry and all that kind of stuff and also everyone is aware most people at least these days that you're like oh i get my energy from food you know i get calories give me energy right and it's obviously not as simplified as that but ultimately that is effectively how it works so why would you think if you don't sort out how your diet is spread throughout the day, how do you think you're going to have good energy throughout the day? You know, but anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Ultimately we want to spread those calories out throughout the day in a relatively uniform way. We're not like hyper-focused on one side of the day or other. Right. And um, unless you have anything to say on that Gary, no? No, that's all good. Fantastic. And then some really helpful habits. We're just going to fly through these, eat more fruit and veg. Again, we talk about this all the time it's literally on all the healthful diets that you'll read online or see in studies, they all seem to eat fruit and veg. So let's get that sorted. Right. Again, a few little practical tips on this because I do want to make this applicable to you know people who are in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, just buy frozen veg, you know, like prepping takes time, just buy frozen veg literally so easy. You can put it in a bowl in a microwave done in whatever two minutes or however long it takes you know um you can boil it you can do so many different things with this right so just buy frozen veg save yourself so much time right um learn new recipes that incorporate fruit and veg again a little bit more of a time commitment and also again kind of goes against what we were saying earlier on where you're like your diet doesn't have to change Massively, but ultimately, if there's going to be one change, let's make it incorporating more fruit and veg, right? Could be learning to make smoothies. It could be making, you know, I don't know, fruit salads, salads, different things, right? Like we ultimately just want to find ways to incorporate more fruit and veg into our life, right? And same thing again with snacks. Like you can switch out snacks for fruit, perhaps, and that can be quite effective for bumping up your overall fruit and veg intake. And then. Unless you have anything to say on that, Gary. And um, the next thing then is eating more protein. A lot of people they just don't eat enough protein. So we want to find ways to incorporate more protein in the diet. And again, this is going to be something that you're going to struggle with, and something we talk about with our clients when we're helping them with this stuff on a like a specific basis, but ultimately we want to have a good spread of that protein throughout the day. So you're going to need to come up with solutions to how am I going to get more protein in at the breakfast, you know, uh, time period, how am I going to get it in at the lunch time period, the dinner, like most people, what they do is they just have protein at dinner. That's, that's the only time they have protein or a significant amount of protein. And ideally we want to have a bit more of a spread. So that might mean that you're having some sort of, I don't know, high protein, like a Greek yogurt or something for breakfast. You're having maybe I'm a protein shake. That's obviously, you know, a lot of, 70 year olds they're not going to be like oh yeah give me that optimum nutrition protein shake over there you know um but ultimately you want to find ways to get more protein in throughout the day it is generally good for health now again this is not to say you need to be consuming bucket loads of protein um but a lot of people are just not consuming enough protein and even if they are consuming enough protein they're not getting that spread throughout the day right um, and then finally as well we want to just reduce saturated intake <clears throat> if i can even speak saturated fat intake and rather than just thinking like oh fat is bad what we just generally focus on is swapping out stuff like butter for olive oil and stuff like that right and um, so that's a diet look <laughs> There's so much (laughs) we can go into with the diet. It's not like that's the be all and end all, but ultimately that's what we want to be thinking about. Now, how do you actually put that in? Like, how do you actually implement all of that stuff into your life? Literally all boils down to having a plan for this stuff. Like, it's just not going to happen spontaneously. If you don't plan for this stuff in your individual specific life, it's not going to happen, right? And you can easily just write this off and go, look, I don't have the ability to do this, the time, the whatever. And that might be the case. But if that is the case, you even more need a plan of action, right? If you don't have the time, you need a plan of action. You can't even be, you're saying you don't have the time to do this stuff, then you definitely don't have the time to be faffing around thinking about, oh, well, what am I going to have for my breakfast or what am I going to have for my lunch? You need to have that. If you're saying you're time poor, you need to have this is my exact plan. This is what I'm having Monday to Sunday. I have all my meals planned out. I know what I'm doing, I know ahead of time. Because if you're time poor, that saves you so much more time. Like if you, and I'm sure again, you've seen this with your clients as well, Gary, where people will literally spend hours per day thinking about what they're going to have, you know, trying to, oh, I'll try to hit my calories with this and I'll try to do this. And I was like, this is, you're spending so much time on this stuff. Just create a plan. Even if you want to change the plan every week or day or whatever it is, but just create the plan once and then execute on it, you know? Um, That's the, if you do that with the diet, Create a plan, even a bad plan is better than nothing. Right. So do you mind say on the on the diet front, young Gary? No,
0: nope, that's the diet covered. And the next thing is, of course, more formal exercise. So you've gotten started with your basic daily activity, and that's a really important start. But thereafter, what you want to try and do is ramp it up a bit. Okay. So it's really important as you age that you do your best to maintain or even gain muscle and strength along with bone mass, um, but they tend to go together. Okay. So the things that are going to increase your muscle mass and your strength are generally going to also contribute to increases in bone mass. So there's some, some crossover there between bone and muscle. Um, it's really important here that you start quite simply and resistance training for an elderly person could be as simple as sit to stands from your chair. Okay. Starting from a high chair, doing a squat like movement to stand up, you can progress towards a lower chair, you can progress towards holding a dumbbell, and then you can progress towards things like your barbell squats, your leg presses, etc. So it doesn't have to be anything too complicated, it doesn't even have to involve a gym to start with. And if you work with a competent trainer, they should be able to give you a program that you complete can complete in your home, you know, if you're, very untrained, even you can do sit to stands, um, from a chair, you can do wall push ups. you can do chair push ups. There's loads of different exercises that can be done with zero equipment and just your body weight. So it doesn't have to be about getting to the gym. Now I would recommend attending a gym because you can gain a lot more skills. You have a lot more freedom, a lot more options to progress. And also if you get the assistance of a personal trainer, whether it be, um, during the intake process of joining a gym, some um, gyms will, you know, have a trainer show you around the gym, show you how to use different exercises, etc., and have a look at your technique. That's one option. The other option will be to actually hire a trainer for a period of time to get you comfortable with the gym environment and the different machines and exercises that you're doing. And the most important thing really is that if, when that trainer prescribes a program for you, or you follow your own program that you start You know, light with everything. Okay. Two to three times per week is more than enough as a starting point, training all major muscle groups. But you don't need to go in on day one and, you know, go 100% effort because you'll just leave yourself feeling really sore and potentially even discouraged about going back to the gym again. Because if you go home and you're already maybe a little bit deconditioned, if you're in your 70s, your 80s, and you know, your mobility isn't as good as it once was, and you go to the gym, and then it leaves you in such agony that you can't do anything around the house for subsequent days, then you're probably not going to want to go back. So starting nice and easy, it might be a 15 to 30 minute weight training session, where you're just learning the technique, you still might be a little bit sore, but it shouldn't be crippling. Okay, so that's really important. Another thing that's really important is that you're preserving your aerobic fitness or cardiorespiratory fitness into later life. Now doing some resistance training is going to support you developing that, but you can also add in some more dedicated work. So what I would envisage here is someone starting with maybe 30 minutes of resistance training and then doing 15 minutes of maybe some cycling on a stationary bike, maybe some rowing, walking on an inclined treadmill, something like that to finish off your workout because it basically means that you can couple those things together. That'll be a really good starting point. And then you can start to build that up over time. You might attend an exercise class. Once your fitness is at that level, you might have dedicated cardio sessions that are a bit longer, um, or you might even, you know, take up a hobby like uh, cycling at the weekend or something along those lines or swimming. Um, Those low impact activities are particularly popular um, with uh, older age groups. So you've got plenty of options there, but that's where I would be starting with uh, those components of exercise. Now, one other thing to consider here is that if you are older, you're more likely to have um, what might be referred to as degenerative injuries or degenerative musculoskeletal conditions, such as maybe arthritis in your knees or your hips or your back, um, maybe little injuries that you picked up over the years, maybe a bit of backache, those types of things. This is completely normal. Um, It's expected with aging that we'll pick up little niggles, little bits of pain here and there. Um, It doesn't mean that you shouldn't train. Generally, training is going to help you out. It's probably going to reduce your pain and give you strength to overcome those limitations in future, but it may require some short-term changes in the way that weight training is planned. So for example, if you've got hip or knee osteoarthritis, you might want to identify where in the range of motion it is provoked most and on what exercises. So a classic example would be, let's say someone has hip osteoarthritis, it's quite sore in deep hip flexion. So for example, the bottom of a squat or the bottom of a leg press. So what we might do is have the person squat to a box that's a little bit higher so that they're not going into the range of motion that is causing them uh, the greatest amount of pain. And that then allows them to build up strength, build up tolerance, build up muscle in and around that hip that will potentially give them to- the tolerance to go a bit deeper in future, even though it's not necessarily required. Okay. So there will be a bit of tweaking uh, with any exercise program that, des- that, that is designed for elderly people, particularly if you're um have those conditions, uh, such as arthritis or others, but it absolutely can be done and it's almost certainly uh, of benefit, okay? So you don't want to just uh, avoid training muscles because you've got a bit of pain in that area because it's it's quite normal and expected for someone who's in their 50s, 60s, 70s, etc to be dealing with at least a few niggles here and there.
1: 100%. Even in your 30s, like you see yeah. people are like, all right, I want to return to exercise. And, you know, I haven't been exercising in the last 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is. And for them, the exact same processes apply. And you know, it's like, okay, how do I get back into activity? Take it a little bit easy, you know, go, go a couple of times per week. You don't need to go into, oh, well, when I was 17, I used to go six times per week in this, like, legs push pull you know fucking program it's like that you don't need to jump back into that go a couple of times a week handful of times two or three whatever it is just do full body work build in some you know aerobic training you could maybe push some anaerobic stuff do some sprints and stuff like that it has a lot of limitations especially if you aren't used to pushing yourself that hard and i would definitely do that on something that is like safer uh, such as like a stationary bike or something. I wouldn't be going, I'm just going to do some sprints on the treadmill here, having not run or anything in the last you know, 10 years. <laughs> um, and it's the same with the injury stuff. Like you're going to have little niggles here and there. And ultimately you want to create a system where you acknowledge that that is part of the process, but you want to create a system that slowly brings you back to where you want to be. You know, again, you might have to do, like I said, like limited ranges of motion. You might have to accept like, okay, this is just where my body is at now and I'm going to build it up over time, you know? Um, But anyway, that I think covers the exercise. The final, final piece of the puzzle here is the stress management stuff. Now, stress management, again, runs the gamut like this there's so much in this that we could be we could be talking here all day right but ultimately we want to just create some stress management practices because this is stuff that people just don't do like if i was to poll the listeners of this podcast and go do you do any stress management practices the vast majority of people would say no or if they were to say yes and you actually ask them what those stress management practices were they actually just do stressors for stress management you know which to an extent works but a lot of people would be like oh yeah i just go to the gym for stress management you know it's like okay like that it definitely does make you more resilient to stress but putting your body under more stress to deal with stress is not necessarily the most effective way long term right so we actually want to have some stress management practices And again, I couldn't couldn't tell you the amount of clients that I've talked about this stuff with, and they just don't implement on it because this stuff is actually hard. (laughs) Right. And it seems like it's not effective. It seems like, oh, I don't need to do that. I'm for me, that's just not for me. I don't need to do this, right? Oftentimes it's the very people that are like, oh, I don't need to do that, that needs to do this the most, right? And so look, stress management, first of all, it generally gets better with you know, better sleep and diet practices. And if you do some exercise, you generally feel less stressed as well. So this is why it's last on the list, because even though it actually permeates into all of the other aspects and also influences the results you get with all the other things, um, it kind of is the last piece of the puzzle that you need to focus on, right? Unless obviously, you know, you're hyper stressed and you can't get the sleep as a result, or you're hyper stressed and you can't stick to your diet. I don't know, whatever it is. Right. But generally speaking, if we do the other things first, stress, stress management becomes better. And then also when we start focusing on stress management, the other things become better. Right. And first things first, the easiest way to manage your stress is to actually organize your life and get better at planning and scheduling. Right. Everyone hates it. It's like doing a, a budget. You know, everyone's like, oh, I'm worried about money. And I'm like, oh, well, what's your budget? Like, I don't, I don't have one. Like, it's literally the entry point, right? So if you are worried about money, you know, budget, where's your budget at, right? That's the same with, you know, stress management. If you have stress, you're higher stress or you are someone that's like, I'm more prone to having higher stress and I don't have any stress management practices. The first, like the entry point, you need to actually sit down and organize your life and actually plan things out and schedule it, right? Like if you have a million and one things to do and you have no list even of those things, you know, you're always going to feel anxious. And the anxiety is not because you have all these things to do. It's because you're fucking scared of even just forgetting one of them because you're like, Jesus, I have a million and one things to do. And it's all just in your head. So if you're not focusing on it at all times, you're going to forget about it, right? Or you might forget about it, right? That's why stuff like just journaling and stuff, which we'll talk about in a second. is So effective. You just write down these thoughts. they don't have to be in your mind it was one of the greatest inventions of humanity creating the written word you know so use it if you just write this stuff down and then start organizing going okay these are my high priority tasks need to do this and then start scheduling it right and obviously it depends on what type of stress we're talking about if you're stressing over your child in hospital or whatever like obviously that's a different type of stress but the vast majority of people the stresses in their life are just the stresses of daily life you know so they can be systematized. They can be organized. They can be scheduled out. You can be like, I can create a plan of action for these things. So do it. Write them all out. Plan it out. Schedule it out. Oh, this needs to be done on a Thursday. This needs to be done on a Saturday. Oh, these things are more important. I'm going to prioritize these things and push the other things out till next month, whatever it is. The vast majority of people, if they just did that, would be so much less stress. And again, stress management along with sleep, I know this is the thing that People heard us talk about stress management straight away. And they're like, all right, that's that podcast done. See you later. <laughs> it's over, right? And um, They just skip through it. They don't listen to it. People just don't implement on the stress management tactics. And they just stay stressed. You know, some people find comfort in the stress. They're kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I like being the busy person. And there's a difference between being busy and being stressed. Like stressed people aren't very productive people in general, right? Firstly, because they're always running around, you know, like a headless chicken, but then also because they die at 50 because of the high stress. So you lost out on fucking 50 extra years of potential productivity and, you know, the whole life thing that you wanted to do because you were so stressed. Right. And the next thing then, and we're not going to go too much into it because we're not psychologists or therapists or whatever, but you need to learn better coping mechanisms. Right. Like a lot of people turn to food, drugs, exercise, exercise to just numb their stress, right? To just numb their life, right? And so you need to come up with better coping mechanisms. You need to actually develop healthful practices and not just try to, again, medicate away the stress in your life, right? There's a few things that are a little bit more, you know, coherent in terms of what we can do, such as journaling. Journaling people, again, they're like, oh, well, what do I journal? It's literally just like Gary said, like he basically journals, even though he might not call it journaling, where it's like, at the end of the day, okay, this is what happened today. Oh, I did well with this, didn't do well with this. This is what needs to be done tomorrow. I have a plan for tomorrow, cool. Like that's that's effectively journaling, right? You can go more in depth. You can be like, oh, well, these are my thoughts, my feelings, whatever, today. And that's one way to do it. But ultimately all we're doing here is writing stuff down. You know, going, okay, well, this is, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I did. This is what I have to do. And it's effectively just a way to get all this stuff off your chest, get all the stuff out of your mind and have it stored somewhere else. You know, you don't even ever need to look at that stuff in the future, but ultimately it's just kind of going, okay, this is not swirling around in my mind now. Right. The other thing, then we can do some sort of meditation. And again, I know everyone always thinks like, oh, it's just woo woo. See you later. Like, well, I think I touch on that meditation can be quite effective. It's repeatedly shown to be very effective. It can, it does have a little bit of a, barrier of entry into it in terms of first of all you have to get over that kind of oh like why should i meditate but that's just because of the way you've been introduced to meditation like you could say like both well, myself and gary do uh brazilian jiu-jitsu and that's a kind of meditation because you have to be completely in the moment present while you're doing jiu-jitsu like you can't just be like oh i have to do uh this other thing later on i have to what am i going to have for food or you know this thing i have tomorrow you can't do that you can't check your phone you can't do any of that kind of stuff you have to be present you have to be in the moment right and that's all effectively what meditation is it's just bringing you back into the moment giving you something to focus on and not focusing on the million and one other things that are going on in your life right and the other thing which is very much related to that is just mindfulness there's a lot of different mindfulness practices we're not going to get into them i'm just giving you some sort of like quick hitter these are things you can do and um, there's also like cbt cognitive behavioral therapy like you can go to a therapist for that there are some like online stuff as well but it's probably best with an actual therapist and um, and then Engage in self care. You know, I know on social media everyone's like, "Oh, I'll do some self care," and they literally are just doing practices of like pampering rather than actually caring for themselves. You know, and that's that's you know it's part of the process, but it's like this is just such a minuscule part of like self care, right? Like self care is like actually looking after yourself, right? So, what makes you happy? Are you engaging in hobbies and different things and activities that make you happy, or are you just like Living, you're just existing, you know? Um, and this is the thing as well. Like people say, I don't have time. And it's like, you actually get less and less productive if you don't do the stress management stuff, if you don't engage in hobbies that, you know, keep you loving life, you know? You just get less and less productive because most people, they treat life like a sprint, you know? When in reality, it's a marathon, right? So you need to pace yourself. So you need to be able to go, okay, there's times where I want to push hard but I need to have rejuvenative practices, right? Um, And then finally, you can get professional help. Like if you really are struggling with your stress and all that kind of stuff, like get professional help. So you get a professional. Obviously, it depends on what you're actually dealing with, but a professional will be able to help you with this stuff, right? And ultimately, look, again, when we're talking about implementing this stuff in your actual life, I know people are just going to skip over the stress management stuff, right? But the first thing you need to do is just, Take that step back, plan some things out, get everything kind of like in order where you're like, okay, I I have my life in order and then you can start building on the rest of the stuff, right? I think personally, some sort of journaling is a great idea as the next step. You sit down, you take some time, you plan things out, you have your schedule, you do all the different things and you go, okay, I need to just somewhat frequently assess how I'm getting on with all these things. I have an idea of all the things I need to do. I've written them all down. I know when I need to do them. And now I'm just making sure that I'm actually sticking to that and that there's no you know thoughts just floating around in my head, causing me anxiety because they're just, I have to constantly think about, them, you know? So do you want anything to say on stress management, Gary?
0: No, I'm a totally chill person. I've got it nailed. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I agree. I think, I think journaling or just making note <laughs> of how your day has been, what's on your to-do list, what you actually have to do in being objective, I think is really, really valuable. Particularly when you're in a period of being quite anxious and stressed and you know you have a lot of things to do, write them down. They never look as intimidating when they're written down. And when you objectively look at what components there are to each task, it's a lot more achievable. Because when they're in your head, everything is worse, okay? So that's it. We finish up. Fantastic. So guys... If you're interested in coaching we do have coaching spaces available we don't have an age limit on our coaching at least not an upper one so if you are someone who is elderly by your own classification we'd be happy to work with you um you can apply below you can find information in the description box any age obviously if you're younger as well you you also fit the bill we'll take you on Um, And if you're someone that you think could benefit from this podcast, obviously share it with them. Um, You could also share our coaching information with them if you think that they need this. Um, We also put out a lot of free content. So if you just want to follow along with our free stuff, you can continue listening to the podcast, share it with a friend. You can subscribe to our newsletter, which you can subscribe to below, goes out every weekend. Valuable free content in there. You can also keep up with the podcast there. We do have show notes for the podcast as well, which we've introduced in the last few weeks. So if you're just listening, Make sure you have a look at those as well, particularly when there are additional resources mentioned because they can be helpful if you want to do further reading. You can also leave a rating and review, which we appreciate, and follow the Triage Method Instagram, where we put out, again, a lot of free content, really valuable stuff, along with on our individual coaches pages. So don't forget to follow those as well.
1: Fantastic. And I have something else to say. I'm probably going to go for a nice little 15-minute nap now other than that i have to go do my shopping for the day you know i have to go get my my groceries because again that's kind of my plan you know i sat down and i organized my week did my stress management practices planned out what i'm going to eat you know i actually got enough sleep last night last night last night and i'm still tired you know um so look you can do everything right and there's still going to be speed bumps just like i said at the start of this episode Other than that, guys, I have nothing else to say. Um, I hope everyone enjoys
0: their week, month, year, whatever. And we'll see you in the next one.